0: Spoke Media.
1: Text messages. Have you received one or sent one that made someone happy or made you happy?
0: Um, I love texting, I think it's awesome. Um, my two best friends live in New York, which is 1800 miles away from here in Dallas, Texas. And so we text each other all the time and very frequently throughout the day, I'll get a really sweet text from them, like thinking of you or like, hope you're having a really great day. And it always makes me smile and brings a lot of joy to my day. So my husband sent me this the other day cause he was traveling. And so he sent, um, I'm really proud of you. You're good at living in the world and making it better. Thanks for taking care of all of the ragamuffins, which is our animals
2: and caring about everyone, I wish I could be more like you. And that just like set my day off really well. Yeah, it was a really, really wonderful thing to receive. A duck emoji, a bread emoji, and a heart emoji. I can just like, whoop, and send it, and then know that I'm making him incredibly happy wherever he is.
3: Yeah, I
1: mean, there's there's funny pictures and funny messages that sometimes you, you get. And sometimes they, they do lighten up your day. And, you know, you're having a bad moment, and then sometimes you get a message like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> I'll read this whole conversation. His wound looks a lot better. Still want to keep the cone on to be safe. And my response was, I'm driving, sent from my car, because my car does that automatically. So I feel like that's rude a lot of the time. But then I got, have a great day. We love you from the girlfriend and the dog. And I sent back three hearts. And I really like that function of it. Short, little, I'm thinking of you type things like that. Makes me feel warm and fuzzy.
0: Yeah. I
4: love you, except from my car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should change it to that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> hey, Bob. Hi, Aaliyah. Hey, can you check your phone,
1: Bob? Terry, I'm checking my phone. Um, Aaliyah, did you just text me?
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did.
1: You can type and talk at the same time. That's amazing.
0: I, uh, you know, there are a few amazing things about me. That is maybe one of them, yes. Um, so can you, uh, maybe you can read that text yourself, Bob, and then... Uh, If you feel comfortable, if you could read it out loud, that'd be amazing.
1: Okay. This is so incredibly sweet, I'm going to cry. How can I do a podcast while crying? Bob, I am so glad to know you. I think it's pretty special that we are different in so many ways, and yet such dear friends who do things like take four-hour car rides together, spend full days eating blueberries and recording podcasts in a studio until our legs are about to fall off and sit at bars and cry about the complicated and hard things in the world. I can always be completely honest with you, and I know you will always be honest with me back. I know I can count on you to listen closely and ask thoughtful questions. I'm so thankful you exist. My goodness, that's really sweet.
0: Can you tell me like, what it feels like to get a text like that?
1: It's like somebody just hit the brakes on your whole day. You're like going around, you're worried about 50,000 things, and then somebody cuts through all the noise with something really special and poignant. And wow, it, it just reminds you... Maybe not to worry so much about all the little things and keep the big things in mind. It's it's such a it's such a treasure.
0: So, Bob, I have a really dear friend who's in a long-distance relationship and she talks a lot about how important texting is to her relationship. And it got me thinking about how important texting is in many of my most significant relationships because many of my most significant relationships are with people who don't necessarily live in the same city as I do or people who for whatever reason I just don't get to see in real life very often. So, Bob, I think I have a theory about technology and love, or at least technology and relationships. I think technology, and specifically texting, has made being in a relationship a little bit better. Like, I wonder if technology has made it easier to love or to be loved or to have a relationship. Hell, even like a friendship. I wonder if tech has made it easier to get to know and continue to know other humans. I think maybe it has. What do you think?
1: Well, you know, my job is to be the wet blanket here and say, no, 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 technology interferes and it makes people distracted and it nudges people to spy on each other and all these things. But I, I, I kind of think you might be onto something. I begrudgingly admit um, texting lets you be present to people who are far away in a way that was just impossible before texting or instant messages or whatever tool that you use. So clearly it's really important.
0: Bob, are you saying that the internet has given a good thing to us and that the internet has maybe made relationships easier? This is the first time I think Bob Sullivan has ever said that.
1: Whoa, we're not going that far. But but I'm willing to entertain it.
0: Great. I'm willing to try to convince you. I'm Alia Tavakolian.
1: And I'm Bob Sullivan.
0: And this is So Bob, the show that tackles questions about the unintended consequences of technology. The sometimes creepy, sometimes genuinely wonderful, often confusing digital stuff that makes you stop and go, wait, is technology actually ruining my life and relationships? Or is tech maybe for once doing something good for me? Am I crazy for wondering about this stuff? We're here to tell you, you're not crazy for wondering. I've got a ton of questions.
1: And together, we're going to find some answers.
0: Let's dive in. Spoke media. Okay, back to our question. So, Bob, has technology actually made relationships better? Can I
1: just say something because I can't help saying something? Please. My relationship with my mother changed when she learned how to text she always sends me you know, when she's, she sees me on TV or she reads a story or tells me about her plants or whatever. And it's amazing. It's, it's exactly what you're talking about. It's a little check-in. You know, She used to tell me all the time and say, call me just to let me know you're alive. And of course, when I called, I couldn't get off the phone for an hour because I could never call and just say I'm alive. But I can do that with texting. And that's great.
0: Texting has made things has probably saved some relationships that I might not have otherwise. Because of exactly what you said, Bob, like calling can be sort of daunting. It can just be like something I don't have the space for in my life. But texting is a way for me to like maintain a relationship and, and maybe even have some deep conversations, right? But to do it on my own schedule and on the other person's own schedule. And it's kind of an ongoing dialogue. And some of the text chains I'm on with my friends bring me so much continuous joy in my life day to day. And, you know, as we're talking about this, I'm realizing that texting is where I have all of my most personal conversations, all of my most intimate conversations. I don't think I do those on other platforms because I'm sort of aware that, like, maybe a platform isn't a place that is as safe as, say, my text chains. I don't know that that's actually true, but that's sort of how I feel about it.
4: Kelly, the producer, popping in here. So at this point in the conversation, I decided to pivot away from what we were talking about and to delve more into romantic relationships and how that affects those in Aaliyah's life. And this is what Aaliyah had to say.
0: I think technology has changed the landscape of romantic relationships. There's the obvious side of this that I think we're not really talking about today, and that's like dating apps, right? But one thing that I know technology has done for me in my romantic relationship with my husband is like, Texting is so important to our relationship. And I was thinking we had a fight the other day and I explained how I was feeling and why I reacted the way I did. And it was really nice to actually have the space to like be away from him and to have a, a place that I could put these thoughts and communicate them to him that like wasn't a phone call that wasn't like live. You know, I was struck by how texting actually helped me work something out with my husband in a way that was really healthy and useful. And I don't know how else we would have done that. Besides, like, the obvious conversation in real life. But maybe that wasn't what we needed in that moment.
4: You needed some space.
0: Yeah, I really thrive on space. So I love, I love being able to, like, walk away, think through, gather my thoughts, and then, like, either tell him or text him. Bob, what do you think?
1: That's a classic definition of an introvert. Like, Like, you need to go away and compose yourself and then say what you have to say. This world where, quite literally, writing is the basis of relationships, typing, texting... Uh, has been a good thing for people who are introverts and for people who are good writers. You know, it's funny. I have had some of the opposite experiences, though.
0: Tell me more.
1: You know, when you're having a disagreement with someone you care a lot about, you know, 27 emails later, all you've done is spin the conversation even wider and wider and more awful and more awful. So, uh, I think it can work both ways. I think, you know, the great thing is you can step away, turn the temperature down on the fight, and then get your whole thought out without being interrupted or, or, you know, and, and Souped nuts like here's everything that i think about this and that's a good thing we've all had fights where everyone's just sort of using too many words right so i think uh i think email or texting can can get in the way of that i would like to mention one other concept though that i know from uh from some of the counseling i've been to for couples counseling hmm. uh, the idea of a repair attempt so whenever there's a fight and you know you're you're playing a game of chicken with each other somebody always has to go first with a repair attempt and a repair attempt can be as simple as like, a, and it's often a good idea to say something wildly unconnected to the fight, like a joke about, wow, that, that bird out there is making a lot of noise while we're trying to have this fight. And that that's an attempt to to say like, it's okay, you know, and like, again, turn the temperature down. Texting and tech in general can be a great vehicle for the repair attempt, right? Um, you know, you, you storm off, you're not talking, and then everyone's wondering, okay, how long are we not talking? And then, you know, the first little daylight back in the relationship can be a tech, so and it does make it i think maybe easier for people who are you know really really angry uh, to make that first step
0: classic repair attempt via text message in my relationship or many relationships i've had for that matter a dog gif <laughs> or a cat gif <laughs> Also, just like even on a repair attempt, even just like day to day, what a delightful consequence of the technology of texting uh, or me- instant messaging. Just the ability to send an image that brings such delight <laughs> and joy, even if it's just like a moment, even if it's just something that like makes me laugh for a second. Mm-hmm. It's so wonderful. I wouldn't trade that for anything. I think it's great. I think
1: like a lot of fights, in my opinion, are basically about unfulfilled expectations, and I think in life, we all expect too much of each other all the time because we it's so hard to know what somebody else is going through or what they're distracted by or whatever. And tech has, has upped the ante on that so much. We expect people to be at our back and call instantly all the time. It's natural. You send a text, you expect, how hard is it for him to pick up his phone and text back? You know, maybe he's in a three-hour meeting at work or whatever. You don't know. But then also, it, it winds you up too, and, and irresistibly, because you expect a response. And in the old world, when like, say, let's say, okay, I'm old enough that I, I used to have these fights over letters, like actual mailed letters, which meant I had to wait three or four days to get a response.
4: Oh, my God. How did you do that? Can you imagine? I would be a wreck. <laughs>
1: you know what? I I, would, I, I lived would. through it <laughs> somehow. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, in a lot of ways, I think probably a professional would say that's a good thing because it, it lets everybody, you know, again takes the temperature off of the conversation right away. And and that space is often really valuable, as opposed to the intensity of texting and texting back and texting back again.
0: Okay, Bob, since I brought my own theory to the table today, it makes sense that I should be the one to find someone for us to talk to. And in fact, I found two really cool someones for us to talk to. One's a relationship advice columnist and podcaster, and the other is a therapist and sex educator. And Bob, I loved what they had to say so much that I want to tag team them. Picture them passing a baton back and forth, or maybe they're like a double tennis duo. I don't know. Insert sports metaphor here. That's who they are. Let's start with Meredith Goldstein. She's been writing about love and relationships at the Boston Globe for about a decade.
3: I'm Meredith Goldstein, the Love Letters advice columnist at the Boston Globe, and I host the Love Letters podcast. I've long been the friend who wants to hear her friend's love problems all day and all night. So I think I've just always been interested in how people connect, how they disconnect. And I just think it's a big quality of life issue, you know, like who we're around, who we spend time with and what other people in the world make us happy and vice versa. So it's just always been a thing I care. I care a lot about. As a love advice columnist for a decade,
0: I thought Meredith would have some great perspective on how relationships have evolved in tandem with tech. But we also wanted to hear from someone who deals with this on the more clinical side of things. And that's how we found
2: Ida. So my name is Aida Mandule. I'm based out of the Boston area. Um, And I was born in Puerto Rico, born and raised. I I probably like to proclaim that every chance I get. I work as a therapist, I work as a sexuality educator, and I also work as a trainer and consultant. So I do a lot of things that are very micro-focused, focusing on individuals and couples and relationships. We talked to these two to get an idea of what they've each observed
0: about relationships and technology. Ida from people they've had therapeutic relationships with and Meredith from people publicly asking her for advice. I'm curious, Meredith, in the decade or so that you've been writing about love and relationships, like what have you noticed about how
3: technology and relationships have evolved or changed? You know, it's funny. In the beginning of the column one of the biggest problems was snooping. And so many people were shocking me by saying that they were breaking into their partners' email accounts, Facebook messages, texts. uh, You know, people just really were desperate to know what wasn't open to them. And in some cases, they suspected a partner was cheating. In other cases, they just wanted access because there were so many new ways to keep private thoughts. And, you know, it's the difference between just knowing where somebody keeps their diary and knowing that someone has all sorts of channels of communication that you're just not going to know about. So I was really disheartened at the beginning of the column by all of the invasions of privacy. And I was saying the other day that I don't get many letters about snooping anymore, or not at least to the extent that I did. And I have a few theories about that, which is that one, I guess we got better at protecting our accounts. (laughs) You know, passwords are longer and there's like, you know, you get emails if somebody's trying to break in. But I think also social media, because you know, you have to remember that like Twitter, Instagram, all of this stuff blew up in the last 10 years, right? Like now we know what our partners are doing all the time. We know what they ate for breakfast and where they were at 1130 and what yoga class they signed up for. And through advertising and targeted ads, we see what they're Googling. So I think there's less need to look and less of a desire to look. But that's also problematic, right? Because I don't know that we're supposed to know someone's path throughout a day. So, you know, it's just the amount of information we have access to about partners or crushes or exes that has really changed over the past decade uh, in good ways and in not so great ways. Do you think that's true, Bob?
1: Uh, I do. I think a few things. I think for one, we also have now some social conventions around, around this and we've Maybe subtly as this society decided, uh, you know, what's okay or what's not okay? You know, is it okay if your spouse picks up your cell phone and starts reading your emails? Every couple comes up with their own, uh, their own rules around those things. But um, back when all this was invented, we didn't have any rules at all. So I think that helps. I do worry there's a darker reason why Meredith might not be getting as many letters on spying as she did years ago. Uh, when it comes to spousal relationships? And the darker reason, I think, is that the spies have gotten better at hiding their tracks.
2: Now, a lot of people have a very different relationship to how much they expect others to be available to them. And so it's created a sense of urgency that was not there before, right? If you, if you know that the only way to communicate with someone is through letters that have to be delivered on ships, and you need to wait months before you hear from someone you're going to be calibrated to a different level of waiting time. But if you know that your person or your people have phones that you can text at any time of the day and that technically they should be able to see at any time of the day, that creates a different layer of and level of expectation. So I've seen it do a lot of really amazing things for people's ability to connect and reduce shame and increase access to life-saving information, but I've also seen it recalibrate our expectations and do so unevenly, right? So not everyone has the same expectations and you see a lot of that difference when you look at both different cultures and different countries, but also different generations. So the, the meaning that certain generations attach to You know, a five minute versus five hour waiting time is different. And when you're cross-culturally and cross-generationally communicating, that can become a problem pretty quickly. I
0: think this generational waiting time thing that Ida mentions is really interesting. Bob, I'm curious, you text with your mom pretty often, right? Yes, I do. What is your mom's expectation of lag time between text messages?
1: I don't expect my mom to text me right away and she doesn't expect me to write. Back right away. It's very, very different than some kind of texting relationship I might have with other people. Uh, but also context matters too, right? If we're talking about maybe a sick relative, that's different from. Or if my, if my mother hasn't heard from me in a while and she texts me and I don't text right back, she is a little bit more anxious. But I, I do think this idea that different generations have have a different kind of timelines they follow. I think that's a really, a really important idea.
0: You know, I'm even real. I'm even thinking about how it's sort of recalibrated our expectations in different kinds of conversations.
4: Mm-hmm. I've heard more from people who are younger, the weird conflict that can arise from social media in a relationship where it's like, you know so much about your partner and you also know what they're doing all the time, maybe to an unhealthy degree is what I'm thinking. God, I never thought
0: about that. Like just wanting a particular caption, wanting your partner or significant other to say um, love of my life or I love this person. Did we have this trouble before we had the internet? Did we have this problem? I don't think we
2: did. What I would say is that social media is not the root of the problem anytime that it comes up. There's usually some other root. And that's, that sounds very therapist-y, right? It's like, oh, it's deeper than that. But the reason, the reason I stress that too is because I'm just so <laughs> angry at how maligned social media gets and how, much, how many think pieces there are about all oh, the ways that texting is destroying your relationship. And again, Texting and social media are tools. They are mechanisms. They are not the roots of our problems, but they can extremely heal and or exacerbate them, right? So I think if we look at social media as the problem or the solution, we're missing the mark completely. As far as the ways that they they affect relationships or some of the problems that I've seen people come with, a lot of them, like I said, are about deeper issues around attachment. For example, There are people who have different ways that they and their partner use social media. So some people are very, very private. They don't put a lot of relationship information online while others do. And so if you're the partner who likes to put that information out there, it can feel like your partner is hiding you if they don't put you out there. Um, It can feel like they're ashamed of you. Um, That comes up a lot with LGBTQ couples and relationships where, especially when one person in the, in the relationship is not out. And so, especially if they've been out about other relationships in the past, but not this one, there's a lot of concerns around privacy. You know, essentially
0: what social media does is it makes our lives public in a way that maybe nothing else has in the past. And it's, it's like, how do we deal with that?
1: For sure, if there's a problem and someone's angry about a text, there's a deeper problem, right? I completely agree with that. I think there are plenty of circumstances where there is conflict that's created by tech that wouldn't exist if it weren't for the tech or the conflict is just really, really, uh, there's just a lot of gasoline poured on it. Like how many times are you in the middle of a fight and if you had to spend an entire day apart working, by the time you come back, things would be calmer. Mm. But nowadays, when you have a fight, you can fight all day at work. You can constantly communicate with each other. And so it flows gasoline on things. And, and again, I don't think the tech is the root of the problem, but I do think tech creates a new set of problems that we've never had before. That like perspective, stepping away, letting the, letting the adrenaline subside a little solves so many problems. And it is so hard to do that when there's a phone in your hand and somebody's worried about every little thing, like what picture you've liked or what a caption says. I mean, it just, it turns up the temperature when the temperature needs to be turned down, I think.
0: Yeah. There's also this like issue of um all of the photos, like when you're dating someone or you're with someone, all of the photos of them in your feed, like your Instagram feed. And something I saw recently, I had of a, an acquaintance who was dating someone and I realized She posted something sort of sad, and then I looked back through her feed, and all of the photos of them together were gone. I was like, oh, God, the, the burden of having to go back and delete a bunch of photos of you and your significant other from your feed just, like, a burden that we didn't have before. It feels like you're editing your life, too. It does. It's sort of similar to me like pre-internet days as um, getting rid of all of the stuff that you had from a boyfriend or girlfriend or person that you were with. It's sort of like Rory throwing out the box of Dean's things or wanting to throw it out, Mm -hmm. you know? Yes.
3: I always say that one of the most universal timeless letters is the breakup letter, the letter that says, I feel pain about a loss of a person in my life. How do I feel better? You know, that that letter was written 100 years ago and will be written forever. But it's different now because there are ways we can have to suffer through seeing our exes or knowing that they exist in the world that even 15 years ago we didn't. We didn't have to know all of these things. So one of the best blessings I've had was that the most recent ex I had when I started love letters was not on Facebook, nor did he ever join it. So that was a that was a very special gift he gave me, uh, not existing in that forum, which was so important at the time. So I just think that technology has really messed with our ability to move on. And I think it's also duped us into thinking that we're supposed to be connected and friends with someone, even if it's just online, to prove that we can, to prove that we're mature. When in fact, often the mature answer is to not see that person. And by not seeing them, I mean block them. It's not rude. You know, we can curate our emotional lives to some extent, and technology really has forced us to pretend in some ways that we're comfortable when we're not.
1: You know, not just in sorting through all your old photos which as you guys were describing it sounded a lot like the kind of things we learned that from the soviet era that they would eliminate things from textbooks and whatnot right it feels like that but more so in moving on i mean you shouldn't see what your ex-boyfriend is doing but even if you unfriend them it's going to be really hard to avoid a picture from a friend or an update post or something like that the healthiest thing to do in the world is when you move on at least at the beginning and tech i think makes that so much harder
0: I'm wondering, what's the greatest good that tech has done for relationships in the last decade?
3: Okay, the greatest good. When I think about my own mother, my late mother, when she was single in the suburbs and she was a piano teacher, so she would teach at night. There was like no way she was going to meet a guy in Highland, Maryland, which, by the way, our house like abutted a farm. There was no community connection in the way that there would be now. So, you know, she was still single when... Online dating became available to her and it drastically changed how she could connect to the world. You know, if you teach out of your house, you live in a rural area, you know, you're completely disconnected. So I think that connecting people and giving them opportunities to meet, I would never undo what technology did there. The world got smaller in some good ways. That said, you know, and this is just in the context of relationships. I mean, there are terrible relationships, like there are many terrible things that technology has done, right, (laughs) to, to all of us. But I. I hate the idea that there are people sitting at a table on a date at a restaurant and they're both looking at their phones. I thought this
4: was interesting because I've heard so many people say this, like, I just hate when I see people on a date and they're looking at their phones. And I've never, ever, ever heard someone say, oh, I don't mind it. I think it's whatever. But (laughs) a lot of people go on dates on their phones. I'm like, why do people do it?
0: Okay. I did it the other day with Brandon, my husband. We're uh, eating tacos and uh, I realized we both had our phones out. But we were making our grocery list together. We just happened to have a list, like a collaborative list that we were both looking at. We we're both talking about it. But we both had our phones out. And so from someone from afar might have thought, oh, those two youths are on their phones and on a date and they're not really connecting. <laughs> Little did they know we were trying to figure out what we we're going to make for
4: dinner all week. And I just want to know, how often does that actually happen?
0: That's a really good question. I don't know. How do we know? Because you you know what? You say that. And I realize I absolutely, if I would have seen uh, Aaliyah and Brandon from afar on their phones, I would have assumed those youths are on their phones and disconnected. But what if this is just how we connect? What if we connect through our phones and so many of our things in our lives are integrated into our phones? And so we naturally just sort of have them out. What if it's not always a bad thing?
1: You guys hit on two really important things, one of which is we're all, you know, we're all asses if we're assuming that we know what people are doing when they have their phones out, right? Yes. Like it's, it's wrong. Uh, but Kelly, I thought what you just said was so smart. Universally, you're 100%. I may have just given the strongest defense ever of having a phone out on a date, right? Like you never hear people defending the habit. Everyone seems to think it's a bad thing and yet no one does anything about it, like the weather. To me, that speaks to the addictive power of phones. We all agree this is bad, but everyone does it. Like That's a bad sign, right? It's like we all agree eating too much sugar is bad, but we're all having Captain Crunch for breakfast.
4: That's <laughs> very true. I have Captain Crunch in my pantry right now. Shut up. No, you don't. <laughs> do you? <laughs> I had a crate, I
3: guess. <laughs> that's amazing.
1: See, I knew it.
3: How do you think texting has changed modern relationships? Well, I feel super bad for people who aren't witty and clever and quick. There are certain people who are so great in person and and have trouble reading tone. That said, if you are good at it and you are a good texter, it's really good. And I happen to, you know, I'm a words person, so I like texting and I like getting a clever punchline from somebody. So I just think that it's just made it that much more necessary for people to be good writers. I'm at the point now where when someone calls me, I'm like, oh, God, what's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you calling me? Very what, true. what is the emergency? So, you know, I think we definitely are, are in a new generation of people who will never know life without it. So it's a fact of life. But I think it really favors people who are great with, you know, speed and one-liners There is a lost art of letter writing. We've lost, you know, again, it's like getting the phone call, right? Where you're like, what's the emergency? Somebody sent me a postcard and I was like, are they depressed? What's wrong?" (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is not something like, you know, um, or or there's something about writing letters and cards that seems like a throwback. Mm, Yeah. And I don't love that. The other side of this is that I think we communicate so much more. Sometimes we say nothing when we say a lot, but I believe that electronic letter writing, whether it's email or a text or, you know, these these messages can be just as meaningful. And if you want to be romantic and write out a bunch of letters, that's totally fine. But I think that a text, I don't want to undervalue a text with an emoji that really brightens somebody's day. I mean, we have to accept that there is a great amount of meaning in short sentences. There always has been, but now we know that from Twitter, from other you know, areas of social media. And I don't want to discount the fact that some of those messages can be just as important as the four page letter with a quill written so many years ago. So th- th- there's, I think we're losing letter writing in its old form, but we have all of these wonderful new ways to send messages to the people we
2: care about. Um, and the other piece that I also like to bring in as a mental health professional is how people with different communication needs can take advantage of technology. So if someone has, you know, if someone is on the autism spectrum and they have a hard time with the processing of verbal input, or they have a hard time being overstimulated, closing down a few of the channels and focusing just on, you know, texting communication at times can be really helpful to actually enable them to communicate better and more fruitfully rather than having to mediate all the nonverbal cues, all the verbal cues, the presence of another human in their vicinity and all these things that can be overstimulating. Um, so when I, that's another lens that I like to bring to it, the question of what mental health needs or challenges and the kinds of embodied experiences that they want.
0: I also really like this because for people who maybe aren't as eloquent in person, who are better at words and better at having the time to think through a sentence or even just a couple of words or hell, even a whole paragraph, like texting is for them and texting is where they can really excel. They can excel at flirting and at, you know, like like getting to know someone in a way that maybe it's it's harder for them in person. Maybe they get really nervous or maybe it's, you know, Maybe it's like what Ida said, which is something I would never thought about. Like, maybe it's somebody on the autism spectrum who just has a different communication style and need and like needs to shut down certain channels and texting makes that possible for them. I think that's really, really beautiful. And I'm glad that there's a medium for them.
1: There's different communications mediums for people who have different needs, like Ida said. And it's not just people on the spectrum. It's people of all kinds who might feel more comfortable taking a pause before they communicate or thinking about what they have to say or or wanting to clear their head and step away from a conversation.
0: I think we would be remiss in this conversation if we didn't mention an obvious sort of corner of it, and that's sexting, right? Like, that's something that is an important part of many people's relationships, especially if you're in like a long distance relationship where you're someone who just for whatever reason, like, you don't see your partner very often. And I think it's really interesting. It's something I want to know and learn more
3: about. The concept was always phone sex, right? Like, that, when I was a kid, I would hear about like that was like a thing people did, right? Through my adolescence. And then once you could text, that became very different, right? And and this idea that you could send a picture, right? Like, because when I think about, like, even in movies in, like, the 80s, it was about two people being on a phone and saying sexy things to each other. But, you know, I have had people in my own life send me a draft of things that they wanted to text <laughs> oh, to make sure it was okay. And that's always hilarious One thing I have to say about sexting is,
0: again, for someone who maybe has a little bit of trouble like communicating what they want sexually or being sexy IRL, like sexting is kind of a really great place for them to try things out and say exactly what they want. And maybe for someone who's shy, this is a place for
2: them to shine. And I think that's really beautiful. Technology, sexting, texting, these are all tools. We can use them however we want, right? So it's the same like having a hammer. If you have a hammer, it can be super useful for certain things, not useful for other things. So that's kind of the same way that I look at sexing and texting. So for folks with sexual trauma and, and working around trauma as one of my specialties, it can extremely be helpful and also detrimental. And I'll kind of go into both of those. So for folks who have sexual trauma and might have issues with feeling pressured or they might fear voicing their needs or they might fear voicing their sexual desires, Having that layer of separation or having a layer of time, a buffer so that they can think through what they're saying versus having to verbalize it so they can put it in words rather than say it with their face, that might make it a little bit easier to communicate something. There's also a way that we can create shorthand via text in ways that are a little bit harder sometimes in person. So something that actually I did not make up. This is something a partner and two actually two partners of mine taught me. And now I try to teach other people about it rather than voicing, hey, making this request is really hard for me. Can you make sure to give me X, Y, Z kind of reassurance? You know, rather than having to give me that entire sentence or the entire baggage, we can pre-negotiate, hey, this particular emoji means this is a hard thing for me to say, I need this kind of reassurance.
1: Yeah, I think this is important too. Every kind of relationship that you have uh, has shortcuts for language. They're such a relief and it's the only way to actually get to the heart of a question quickly. So using emojis for that in text, so you don't have to explain a paragraph worth of feelings. I think that's brilliant.
0: I also really liked what Ida said about how texting can sort of be useful for someone with sexual trauma. Like, it can act as a buffer. It can act as a a way for them to sort of work things out and they don't have to do it face-to-face. Like, it can create a sort of safety net that I think is really, really cool.
4: We'd be remiss also to mention, as a lot of people are immediately thinking probably, the danger of especially photos or anything that you wouldn't want out and, like, trying to find an app or something to use that you could, feel more protected while doing this and taking the shame away from a part that's integral to a lot of people's relationships. The idea of something everything you've said being on a server somewhere is horrifying.
2: Other tips include using apps that have encryption and end-to-end encryption especially, and also making sure that you know what platforms you're using and their terms of use. And I say this knowing full well that I generally never read the terms of use when I download an app. So You know, we say this and a lot of us don't actively practice it, but I know that I've increased my reading of terms of use, especially for apps that I will use for sexting, because some of them, you know, Snapchat, for example, people assume, oh, this just disappears, or oh, I I put this story up on my Instagram and it'll disappear in 24 hours. And that's not necessarily the case. Often those are actually still stored on the servers for the companies for sometimes indefinite amounts of time. And so, how can we meaningfully consent to a sexual activity if we don't have those key bits of information? So technology also affects what we need to consider when it comes to, do I consent to the sexual interaction or not? Because the other, the other piece here too, when you're texting someone, you don't necessarily know that they, that the intended recipient is the one actually receiving the communication. Yeah. So someone else could have their phone. Someone else could have, you know, the phone password and be looking at it. So you can't always guarantee privacy. So how do you want to deal with that? How do you want to manage your own risk when you can't guarantee things as critical as that? I can guarantee I'm talking to someone if I'm looking at their face and they're right next to me, but who's across the phone line? That that might be a bigger, a bigger question mark.
0: I mean, TBH, I have never sent a sext because I'm afraid of where all that stuff could live. Like, I don't know who might see that. So many things could go wrong, even if there's no malice involved, right? And, like, that just gets me all freaked out.
1: Some of this kind of communication is meant to be ephemeral, right? Like, it's a passing moment. And putting it in a permanent medium, like on a text, kind of ruins that. And it obviously also enables it to be taken wildly out of context. And I think that's that's why this is... This sort of crystallizes the tension between technology and relationships in a way I think some of these other issues have not. Somebody else might not have the phone is something that we should just, we forget because we're in this virtual world. People should be aware at all times that another person might have picked up the phone. And if responses start to get a little weird, immediately start to ask questions. It's just something to have top of mind, I think, at all times.
0: Because if you're trying something out with a sext, right? and it doesn't go well, like it's all there for you to see and replay over and over again, unless you like, I guess, go and delete it from your text chain.
4: Also, I think a thing that's centered around this conversation with sexting a lot is fear, right? Oh no, my teenage child is sexting. How do I protect them? How do they protect themselves? All of those things, which are extremely valid. So I really liked what Ida said around this subject. We still have real worries and I don't know if there's a great solution yet to the worries of like, you know, the stuff being out there permanently or what does that mean? But I do like taking some of the stigma away, saying like, the This is a way that adults can communicate in a consensual way.
0: Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I like that we're here saying, hey, we acknowledge all of the bad and potentially really scary stuff that can come along with sexting. But like in this episode, we really want to highlight some of the good, like the great good that can come out of it and can come out of just like the medium of texting or instant messaging that can just make our relationships better, sexier, more fun. Okay, so what do we think? I mean, where have we landed? You know, we started this episode with a theory that I have or had. I think I still have it. It's that technology makes our relationships better. Bob, where do you think we've landed?
1: Oh, I think there's a spectrum. And, you know, it's like we, we said at the beginning of this whole podcast, you know, there's both good and bad. You've you've pulled me positive, Aaliyah. I have to confess. I think if, if somebody, if this were a presidential election it would be a popular vote win for uh for technology being more good than bad and helping relationships it's really persuasive to me that there's all these people that you wouldn't be able to interact with um and and love and connect with on a daily basis without tech and and, and that wins the day for me but not by a lot so i am one who thinks that almost all humankind's greatest inventions are are metaphorical or literal bridges a bridge being the first thing right and you know Bridges allow people from different lands to (laughs) visit with each other and do trade and have relationships. Bridges now allow people to bridge thousands of miles with a phone call or with a text. And uh, never would I say that we should just pull up all our bridges and go back to living on our own lands. But... As we have seen throughout history, the the cultural clashes that occur because bridges are built and people mix uh, require a whole new set of rules and it's difficult to navigate. And I think we're just in a really intense period right now where we've built an awful lot of magical bridges and we have to figure it out.
0: I think the challenge is worth the immense reward that we get from the bridges that we've built.
1: It's not a bad image to keep in your mind, this idea of bridges that are drawbridges that can be pulled up. That's something that you have to do. I mean, healthy relationships require healthy boundaries and and lots of complicated free-flowing boundaries, right? That are context-sensitive and time-related and can change over time. And so, don't be afraid to use things like blocks. Never be afraid to use things like blocks. You're always within your right to say, I don't want to talk to you right now. Don't let other people make you feel like you have to do something you don't want to do, whether it's participate in a social media, participate on a kind of text chat, and always be clear about what is making you comfortable and not comfortable. But I think there are some tech solutions. If, if, if you want to engage in the kind of text messages that you wouldn't want the world to see, you can investigate some of the tools like Snapchat that allow for messages to disappear or be temporary. And I, and I think more than anything else, just be aware that whatever you type into a keyboard might not be as private as you feel it is at the moment and keep that ever present in your mind.
0: So something I've been trying out lately that I really like is when, I, when someone I have a relationship with, but maybe I don't talk to very often, comes to my mind, I'll shoot them a text. It's super low pressure. There's no pressure for them to respond. And it's something just like, hey, thinking about you, I hope you're really, I hope you're well. Or something that I maybe know is in their life, I'll just comment on it and say, thinking about you. Um, hope you're having a great day. Here's a silly dog photo or something. Um, And sometimes it'll spark a really lovely conversation. And for someone like me who doesn't like to start conversations and is sort of like very anxious about that and anxious about like starting conversations certainly in real life, but really anywhere, this is a nice sort of low pressure way and low cost way to do that. I send a message, it's just like, hey, thinking about you, and then maybe they send something back, maybe they don't, and I can take my time responding. It's just a nice little way to keep those relationships up
4: and alive. Yeah, I I would implore people to do that. It can go a long way. Like what we talked about, your text message to Bob at the beginning of the episode kind of showed that. I mean, that was a longer message, but it was still just like something that's like, hey, this is to halt your day a little bit. And be like, I'm thinking about you. Someone in the world somewhere is thinking about you. How nice of a feeling that could be.
0: Spoke Media. Next time on So Bob, I join a band of thieves and we raid a mansion. Okay, well, kind of. Okay, I play Dungeons and Dragons, which honestly, at this point, I'm arguing might be the greatest unintended consequence of technology. But first, Bob answers one of your questions. So Bob is a Spoke Media production. It's hosted by me, Aaliyah Tavakolian, and Bob Sullivan. Thanks to this week's guest, Meredith Goldstein. You can find her on Twitter at Meredith, G-O-L-D-S-T-E. And thanks to Ida Mandalay. Find them on Twitter at Neuron Bomb. If you have a nagging question about your digital life, or maybe you just want to share an unintended consequence of technology that brought you some joy, write to us at SoBob at SpokeMedia.io or DM us on Twitter at SoBobPod. No question is too big or too small, so send them our way. If you like what you're hearing, head to Apple Podcasts and drop us some stars. Write a review if you're really feeling it. This helps other people in the world with burning tech questions find the show. We're produced by Kelly Kolf, with help from Reyes Mendoza and Trey Jones. This episode was mixed by Alexander Mark. Our head of post-production is Will Short. The songs you hear in this episode come from First Comm. Our executive producer is Keith Reynolds. Thanks for listening.